So as a child, I remember several features about my dad. My dad was a pastor, is a pastor, and oftentimes he was standing up preaching and we never really got to sit next to him during the services, but one feature that I remember is that when a missionary came to town, he would sit down and as maybe a four-year-old or five-year-old, I would see his big dad hands there and I would slip my hand up on top of his hand because underneath the skin, his veins were like gummy worms. And I just like to press on those gummy worms. I've seen other young kids do that. I don't know if that was you at one point. Another feature that I remember about my dad, and I hope he's not watching this morning, is that he has hair on top of his toes. And that always struck me as a little strange, especially as a boy. And I remember asking him, Dad, why do you have hair on top of your toes? Well, he told me when he was a boy, he grew up on the farm in northern Illinois. His dad, big farmer, cows all over the place. And he and his brothers used to go barefoot throughout the summer. And he would say things like, Nate, that hair needs fertilizer to grow. I used to stand in cow manure, and that's why I have hair on my toe. So my question to you this morning is, what are you standing in? <laughs> As Peter closes out his letter to the Christian exiles, he praises Silvanus, who is more than likely Silas. Silas probably carried this letter for Peter to these churches in modern-day Turkey. Um, he also sends greetings from the Christians who are in Babylon, Babylon, not the ancient city of Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar, that city was in ruins by now. Babylon has become a name for the world, um, the world system. So from those Christians who are in that world system, more than likely the capital of Rome, the city of Rome itself, the Christians who are in Rome send their greetings. He also talks about John Mark. You remember John Mark was the one who left Paul on one of the journeys. Uh, they had a split up there, and Peter has become friends with him. He also tells the church to greet one another with a kiss of love, the, the cultivation of fellowship that should be within the body of Christ. But the very last exhortation, the one that he seems to be emphasizing as he writes these last couple of lines here in his letter, is this statement of, I have written briefly to you, exhorting and declaring that this is the true grace of God, now stand firm in it. So his letter that he has written, I have briefly written to you, is a letter about the grace of God. This book that we've been studying for the last several months, Peter says now, it, it should be an exposition of what God's grace is. And we're going to ask the question, what is God's grace in just a minute? But Peter says, you need to be standing in God's grace, which means you need to keep living as a Christian exile in a hard world in a world that's filled with suffering and temptation, in a world where the devil is scheming to pull you away from your faith in Jesus, you must continue to stand. Failure to stand means a lifestyle that has denied a faith, denied the faith. 
And so as Christians, we are called to this today. Wherever you are feeling the currents of the world push against you and you're wondering, is it okay to just prop my feet up and slip downstream with the current? God is telling us, no, you you can't do that this week. You must stand firm. And at first glance, this looks like a nearly impossible task to stand firm in the midst of a world that is opposed to you. You've heard stories about soldiers at boot camp where they have to stand in the sun all day or where people stand in line for days just to get a new phone or we're watching the Olympics and maybe some of these sports require some sort of posture where they're on their feet constantly. They can't sit down. And you look at that and you think, wow, that takes an incredible amount of of human strength to stand out in the sun all day and be under the eyes of a drill sergeant or to do this sport and be on your feet all day. When Peter says stand firm, he also gives the means by which you and I are to stand. This is not going to be a send-off in which Peter says, now you must do this in your own strength. No, he is calling us to stand, and the means by which we are to stand is the grace of God. The grace of God will be the means by which you are able to stand in the world today. So two questions that we want to answer this morning as we close out the book of 1 Peter is this. What is the grace of God, and what does it look like to stand firm in God's grace? So what is the grace of God? That's point number one. Uh, if you're taking notes, just letter A is explanations on grace. Uh, what, what is the grace of God? Let's give a simple definition so that we're all on the same page. The grace of God is his undeserved kindness towards sinners. It's his undeserved kindness towards sinners. God's kindness is undeserved because we have sinned against God in our lives. In chapter 2, verse 9, Peter says that we were living in darkness. That means rebellion or sin against God. And later on in the chapter, he says that we were straying like sheep. We were rebelling and then we were running from him. Now, someone sins against you. Someone offends you, hurts you with their words. The last thing that you think you owe them is kindness. The last thing that you think you owe them is grace. After all, they are the ones who have sinned against you. If anything, they owe you kindness in order to compensate for the sin. Let's even out the scales a little bit. You've got sin on this side. Now you owe me grace in order to even out this relationship. But instead of God demanding that we show him kindness to make up for our sin, The text is saying he is the God of grace. He is the one who extends kindness to us. And this kindness is the grace or the life of Jesus Christ that has been given on our behalf. And we've seen this several times throughout the book of 1 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, mercy is the twin sister to grace, by the way. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Jesus died for us. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 
For Christ also suffered once for sins. He was the righteous, suffering for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. There's the grace of God Jesus has given for us. Titus chapter 2, verse 11, Paul picks up on this theme many times in his epistles. Perhaps one of the more common texts on grace where it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Okay, so here is God's grace to us. It's his undeserved kindness. If we were to say, what does this undeserved kindness to us look like? What is this gift? It is the gift of Jesus Christ. God is the creator of all things, including us. We are accountable to him. However, we, as the creatures of God, have rebelled against him. We have sinned against him. And the just response from God would be to punish us for our sins. And that punishment is eternal separation from God in hell forever and ever. But God in his kindness has shown grace. He sent his son, Jesus, into the world. And so Jesus lives this perfect, obedient life. And it's the life that we need in order to be in relationship with God. So God sends his son into the world, lives this obedient life, but we still have the punishment that we deserve for our sins. Jesus goes to the cross, and there at the cross, God pours out the punishment that we deserve for our sins upon Jesus. And Jesus' life of obedience is offered as a gift of grace to anyone who will receive that in faith. That's God's grace, his kindness. And that's the grace and kindness that Peter is talking about. It's his gift to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, several principles about God's grace, letter B. We see several principles about God's grace throughout the scriptures. Number one is this. Grace is part of God's nature. Grace is part of God's nature. You're in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you just go up a couple of verses to verse 10 in your Bible, I didn't put this on the screen because you're already there. Verse 10 says this, after you have suffered a little while, note how God describes himself. The God of all what? Of all grace. The God of all kindness. Like, here's grace, here's kindness. He is the God of all all of that kindness, of all of that grace. And so when you think about the attributes of God, there's his holiness, there's his justice, there's his love, and here is God. God is a God of kindness and grace to you. Second principle about grace is that grace is never an obligation from God to us. It is simply freely given. God is not obligated by us to give grace. He freely gives it. Okay, so Exodus chapter 33, verse 19. God looks at Israel in bondage, and he says this about them. He said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name. Here's his name, the Lord. And then look at this next phrase. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy. So when God redeemed Israel out of slavery in Egypt, he did that out of grace. Not out of 
some sort of obligation that he owed to Israel. In other words, Israel wasn't doing things just right. And God says, because you have met some sort of standard, now I owe you grace. What's true about this is God says, I will choose to have grace on whom I will choose to have grace. Here's Israel, not a very pretty country, not a very pretty people, but he chooses to dispense his grace upon them. And that is to us as well today. Most of us in here have received the grace of God, the kindness of God in Jesus Christ. Every sin that we've committed has been forgiven. The sins this past week that perhaps you came in with this morning that are just kind of weighing down on you. God does not owe us kindness. He's not obligated to give us grace, yet in and of himself he has chosen to give you grace this morning. So if God is kind, how is it that I will receive the kindness? A third principle is this. The proper response to God's grace is faith. Proper response to God's grace is faith. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 9 says that we are obtaining the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. Okay, so here's Grace, here's the kindness of God that has been given to you so that your soul can be saved from eternal punishment. And Peter is writing to them and he's saying, okay, you've received this grace, you've received this salvation by what means? You've received it simply by faith, not by works, not by anything that you've done. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 9, he wants to be found in Christ not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Now remember, God's kindness to us is the gift of Jesus, his righteous life. And so he says that I cannot earn this grace or this righteous life that is Jesus's by doing good works. The only way that I can receive this grace, this righteousness in Jesus, is simply by believing. There's no baptism that you can go through. There's no step of communion. There's no amount of good works that you can do in order to receive this. Paul says it simply depends on faith. So Peter is signing off his letter now with this command. Stand firm in God's grace. Stand firm in his kindness to you. And we want to ask the question, <clears throat> what does it look like to do that? If, if Jesus has been given to us, what does it look like now to stand firm in God's grace? This last week we went blueberry picking and we're out in all of the fields down in West Olive and you drive by fields that have little bitty plants that have been planted maybe just 12 inches off the ground and you drive by other fields that have plants and bushes that are, you know, six, seven feet tall. Well, in order to get that plant going, you know that a seed had to be planted into the ground there. That seed was planted into the dirt and it sprouted up a plant. There it is. But that seed hasn't just sprouted up a plant and now it's done. As you see in these different fields, it has sprouted up a 12-inch plant, a 36-inch plant, and now a, a six or seven-inch pl foot plant. As you think about the Christian life, 
many times we think about our new lives being planted in the grace of God. We received Jesus as our Savior. We received his kindness. And there it was, back when I was a young boy, I received the grace of God, and now I was just planted there, and now it's done. Well, as you look at these plants, these plants are continuing to thrive in the soil and produce life. And what Peter is saying and what the Bible is teaching us is we never move on from the grace that we've been planted in. We never move on from the gospel that has been received into our lives. We never move on from this truth that Jesus is extreme kindness to us. It's not just a one-time act or event or transaction that took place. This is the soil that we're rooted in as Christians. And so as those roots go deep down into the soil and continue to pull nutrients up and cause this this plant to come to life and produce fruit. So in the Christian's life, when we are in Christ and have received God's grace, our roots are going deep down into the grace of God and it is causing us to flourish. And Peter can say, now stand firm in that grace. Don't walk away from it. And again, the question is, what does it look like now as believers to stand firm in this grace? Well, first off, God's grace gives security for our relationship with him. God's grace gives security for our relationship with him. He he has been talking about grace. He's been talking about our relationship with him. I just referenced verse 10. Go back there again as you have your Bibles open. And after you have suffered a little while. There's life. That's what we go through as exiles He says, the God of all grace, okay? Here's the God of all kindness. Now, what is this God of all grace doing for his people? He has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, and he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So here's the promise that you have right now as you are rooted in God's grace, that your relationship with him is secure. That's what he's saying, You have security because God's grace is on your life. The God of all grace has called you to his eternal glory. Recently, um, we've seen folks pass away. Recently, there's been people in our church who have been sick. It reminds us that this life is very temporal. James describes this life as a vapor. It's here, and then it's gone. And then eternity begins, which means one millisecond after you die, you're going to be absent from the body. And as Christians, we know and we have this grace that we can stand in and this security that we will be present with the Lord. And so let me just ask you this question. Do you ever get concerned about that millisecond that we all are going to face unless Jesus comes back? Do you ever get concerned, what is going to happen to me when God ends my days here? Perhaps there's a sickness that you're going through, a pain that you're feeling, somebody that you've been next to who has passed away, and God reminds you, hey, your millisecond is coming. The grace that we have here, according to verse 10, is we can be secure. We know that to be absent from the body is going to be, boom, eyes open, present with the Lord, just like that. And as believers, we know, okay, so death is not ultimate. In fact, this world can take our lives away from us. And this world is going to, in some way, 
bring us to the end of our lives. Age, sin, the effects of it on the body, we are going to breathe our last. Oh, but that's not ultimate. God's grace is ultimate. And the promise is he will carry us through that valley of the shadow of death. He will be with us. We have no reason to fear because he is with us. For the Christian, we are rooted and anchored in God's grace and our security with him is just present. Number two, it means that as Christians, we live with security about our everyday life with God. Okay, so just thinking about letter A in your outline, um, I'm thinking about this other aspect. Not only are we thinking about that time that is coming, the last day, but also right now, we live with security about our everyday life with God. What do I mean by that? Let me give you some verses. Psalm 51, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Ephesians 4, 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. 1 John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What do all of these verses have in common? They have in common this theme of forgiveness that, that right now, not, not at the end which we are all moving towards, but right now, no matter what is going on in your life, God is a God of grace who extends kindness to you even in the midst of your sins. And when I was reading Psalm 51, you might remember that that is David's psalm after he has committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he goes on with a heart of repentance and a heart seeking God's forgiveness. And God is faithful in forgiving us of our sins even right now. I was talking with a friend whom I'm getting to know. And I asked him if he believed in God and if he knew that he was on his way to heaven. Uh, there were doubts that he expressed. And along the way, he said, I just feel like I owe God for all the things that I've done. And I responded to him and just said, we can't give him anything to make ourselves right with him. He has given us grace to make ourselves right with him. We can't do it. And if we receive that by faith, that makes us right with him. It's all because of God. And that's the security that we have. God is the one who's making it possible for us to be right with him. He asked in the conversation, but how do I receive that? What am I supposed to do? We just went on to talk about what faith is. And I'm praying that I'll have an opportunity to share the gospel more with him. So God's kindness toward us is all we need to be made right with him right now and in the future. Letter B. God's grace leads you to a right view of yourself. Okay, so God's grace gives you a right view of him. Stand firm in that. God's grace also gives you a right view of yourself. First Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Peter wrote, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. You see that God is doing the work here, but you also see the work influences or should shape the way that we see ourselves. When we believe that God is gracious, we need to believe that his grace truly changes who I am. I'm born again now. I'm being kept by his power right now. Think about a child who is constantly fearful of what his dad thinks about him. The boy is constantly turning inward to himself, hoping that he is manly enough or intellectual enough or funny enough or athletic enough to impress his dad. So he spends hours in the weight room trying to bulk up so that he can be a perfect running back that impresses his dad. He spends hours in the library after school so that he can get the SAT score that he wants, or he's learning little quips so that he can make his dad chuckle. The boy keeps wondering, am I good enough? And he keeps driving himself to the point of exhaustion in order to be somebody that impresses his dad. And in the meantime, his dad is saying, you're my son. I love you not because you're a good athlete, or how smart you are. I love you because I am your father and you are my child. I'm going to love you all the way to the end. I'm here to take care of you. I'm here to provide for you. I'm here to protect you. I'm your dad. That's what dads do. Dads love their sons. The dad wants to see his son do well in life. The dad is going to send him down a path of wisdom and an obedience. But the son's achievements in no way determines the dad's love for the son. The dad just wants to hang out with him because he's dad and he's son. They can go fishing together. They can play ball together in the driveway. They can watch a movie or talk about life because they are father and son. They are kept together because the relationship is there. Now the point is that the son can stop trying so hard now to impress his dad because he doesn't need to. He can just enjoy the relationship. And when it comes to our relationship with God, we must see ourselves in the result or as the result of God's grace and kindness to us. In verse 3, it says that we've been born again. God has brought us to himself. We've been chosen. So now we are free no longer to look at ourselves and be asking the question, Am I doing well now, God? Am, 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 am I doing better? But now we're able to look to God's grace and be enamored with that and be saying, thank you, I want to keep moving in that direction. See, it's all a matter of perspective. Am, am I looking at myself? Am I navel-gazing? Am I, am I continually evaluating my, my own morality and my own achievements? Or am I able to be released from that and be focused on what God has done for me. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, where he says that we're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We're able to look to him because of what he has done for us. Does God use imperfect, messed up people with all kinds of baggage in the past, though? I mean, does he just kind of put us on a shelf two or shelf three? 
It's interesting that when you read the genealogy leading up to Jesus' birth in Matthew 1, there are lists of people in Jesus' family line. Particularly, there are three women who are mentioned in that family tree. There's Tamar, there's Rahab, and there's the wife of Uriah, whom we know as Bathsheba. These are women whom God used to bring Jesus into the world. But who are they? Tamar was a girl who impersonated being a prostitute so that she could have sex with her father-in-law, which she did. Rahab, she didn't need to impersonate anything. She was known as the harlot of Jericho. And then there's Bathsheba. Well, whatever you think about that story, her husband goes off to war. David foolishly, sinfully sends for her, and she goes into the king's bedroom. Three women with not exactly a great reputation, and yet God's grace is vast enough and big enough to use imperfect people to carry out his plan. God is still the God of Tamar, the prostitute impersonator. He's the God of Rahab, the harlot. He's the God of Bathsheba, the one who willingly went and slept with the king. Now, Brad Bigney, in his book, Gospel Treason, he says this, Our God is in the business of shining his glory through broken vessels that this world would toss out onto the trash heap as useless. He delights in picking up the broken shards and making us into trophies of grace for the display of his glory. That's why the Apostle Paul observed that where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So here's the point. God has chosen to extend kindness and grace to you and to love you very specifically. It wasn't because you and I were so wonderful or lovely, athletic or successful. It was because God in his sovereign will chose to do so and you can rest in the fact knowing God loves you. And now Peter says, stand firm in that grace today. Stand firm in that kindness. Be freed from the race of trying to accomplish self-worth and rest in God's eternal love for you. God's grace leads you to a biblical view of yourself. You are loved. Number three, or letter C. God's grace leads you to love your fellow Christians. God's grace leads you to love fellow Christians. We see this earlier in the book of 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, for you have been born again not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. Okay, so notice the theme or the the picture of God's grace here. What is it? You have been born again. You've been born again, not of this dying seed, but you've been born of the, again of this undying, this imperishable seed. It's his, it's his grace that goes on. It's because of Jesus Christ. Because of that new birth now, Christians have the ability, the strength, the grace to love one another. And here Peter describes this grace as a purifying work that happens in our lives. He enables us to love one another deeply now because he's purified us. But did you notice where he's purified us? He's purified us in the heart. 
Love in this world is based on conditions. A worldly picture of love is based on conditions. It's based on how we meet one another's needs if, or expectations. If you see something that you like, you love it. If somebody does something that you like, you love them. If you agree with their view, you love them. If you got the right view on the environment, right view on political perspectives, agree with my view on vaccines, COVID, all that stuff, view of history, then we're on the same page. We love one another. But what makes Christians distinct is this. Jesus said they will know you by your love for one another. Not how you are able to match up with things in common. There is this gift that God gives to us. It's his grace. It's the grace that we're planted in. And part of that grace God is using to cultivate our hearts in a purifying way so that we can put those things aside and love one another truly. So in chapter 4, verse 10, Peter said this, As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied, there it is again, his grace. So here's grace that has been given to each one of you this morning who are Christians. And God says, now use that grace in your life to serve one another. Let that grace overflow from your life in order to love one another. We as Christians are leaning into what God has given to us not our own selves. And so we can stand firm in God's grace in the way that we view fellow believers. Now, a fourth area for us to stand in God's grace, as we've studied throughout 1 Peter, is our relationship to the world. From the very beginning of the book, we've seen language that we are exiles in life. This is not our permanent home. We are exiles who are going to a destination. That destination is the eternal presence of God in heaven with him. Yet for the time, we're here. And so as we're passing through, we're interacting with the world. We're like a pinball that's bouncing off the world. God's grace causes you to endure in the world. God's grace causes you to endure in the world. In chapter 2, Peter addressed the character trait of submission that is to be evident in our lives as Christians. We live in this world and he talked about government way back in chapter 2. God's grace enables us not to always agree with government, but to be submissive to government. God's grace also teaches us how to be submissive in the workplace. And so in chapter 2, verses 18 through 20, he says this. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. It's a grace-filled thing. It's, it's an endurance in grace. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. And that's what Peter is saying. Like, this is an act of grace. This is the soil that you've been planted to, into. You're at work Somebody treats you unjustly, and when you endure through it, he's saying, man, this is a gracious thing that is taking place in your life. You are drawing upon the grace of God in your life. 
And so he says, stand firm in this as you go throughout the world. In chapter 3, he talks about spouses being with one another. And in one particular case in chapter 3, he talks about a wife who's married to an unbelieving husband. Standing firm in God's grace, she can endure and be part of that marriage because God is honored with the marriage staying together. In all of this, what we learn from this book is yes, we are exiles in this world, and God promises to bring us into his eternal glory by grace. He's bringing us home. That's then. This is now. This life that we are living is filled with suffering. It's filled with pain. It's filled with disappointment. It's filled with betrayal. Our lives here and now are, however, rooted deep into God's grace. And Peter can say, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't kick your feet up and drift downstream with the currents of society. Stand firm. My brother and his family went out to California recently. And when we met them over in Minnesota a few weeks ago, they brought these pictures of the giant redwoods. These trees that can go... 350 feet plus high into the air, and they're weighing millions of pounds there. And when you think about these trees, again, a seed was planted into the ground, and you look up and you see these huge, massive beams of wood, these trees giving a little bit of lean. What keeps them from just toppling over with all of that weight What keeps them upright when the wind is blowing in California? They have to be anchored. And so here is this root system that is anchored deep into the dark earth, and it it keeps this massive tree fixed in place. As Peter is closing out this book, he is saying, here is hope. God's grace is what you are anchored in. Stand firm in it. Remember who you are in your relationship to God. He is the God of all grace this week. Remember it in relationship as you see yourself. You've been chosen by God's grace. Remember as you think of fellow believers, you have the ability to love one another because of God's grace. Remember it as you're bouncing off the world this week as an exile. You can endure through this world because of God's grace. Stand firm in God's grace this week. Let's pray.